Hello and welcome to another episode of The Age is for Human, the podcast that centers on the human in HIV. Each episode brings you content on the human side of research, health, well-being, and community. The Age is for Human is sponsored by the Legacy Project of the Office of HIV-AIDS Network Coordination, HAC. My name is Pedro Icochea and I will be your host today. On episode 13 of H equals H, we will talk about the Evidence to Practice, or E2P, initiative, a Duke's university program that is aimed at increasing interest in HIV science careers for students at historically black colleges and universities, or HBCUs, and minority-serving institutions, or MSI. And to have this conversation, we will be joined by Dr. Kenry Guerre, Dr. Lance Okeke, and Mr. Russell Campbell, who will be sharing with us what E2P is about and how they came out with this idea to promote interest in health sciences in college students at HBCUs and MSI. So let's start with a round of introductions. Dr. Ware, why don't we start with you? My name is Kenrick Ware, and I'm actually on faculty at South University School of Pharmacy. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice. And in addition to that role at South University, I also am affiliated with Joseph H. Neal Health Collaborative in Columbia, South Carolina. Thank you, Dr. Guerre. Dr. Okeke? Thank you so much for having me. I'm Lance Okeke. I'm a physician and researcher here at the Duke Division of Infectious Diseases in the Department of Medicine, and I'm the director of the Evidence for Practice program. Thank you, Dr. Okeke. Russell? I am the director here at the Office of HIV AIDS Network Coordination, based in Seattle, Washington, at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center. And for those of you who may not be familiar with Hank, we are the coordination center for the HIV AIDS Clinical Trials Networks. And I've been with Hank now for 15 years. Because our podcast is aired globally, I would like to start by helping our audience understand some of the acronyms we will be using throughout this interview. So probably we can start by explaining what is an HBCU, an MSI, and what CIFAR is. So HBCU stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities, and MSI, Minority Serving Institutions. And for some of you who may not be familiar with the history of the United States. The United States has a history of racial discrimination, racial oppression, segregation. And for black, brown, indigenous communities, in order to pursue education, there were higher education institutions that were created for those communities that were either denied access to predominantly white institutions, or where it was very difficult for Black, Brown, Indigenous folks to access predominantly white institutions. And HBCUs and MSIs historically have been institutions where individuals could go obtain a higher education and be around other people who are part of their race and culture. And those institutions not only provided a place of education, safety, but also uplifting the students and preparing them for the world that they would go in and to these careers that were so important for these communities that were still struggling and to this day 
with disparities. So, for our audience to understand what we are talking about, what does CIFAR stand for? The Center for AIDS Research is the CIFAR, Center for AIDS Research, and there are 19 of those institutions across the country with a mandate of promoting HIV research and developing the next generation of HIV researchers and supporting their work. So what is the evidence to practice program? Who came out with this idea? So evidence to practice really was birthed by, I would call it our pioneer, Dr. Lance O'KK. So he had a vision to really bring some of the evidence that we're utilizing around HIV prevention or pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP to the campuses of historically black colleges and universities. Evidence to Practice uh, was actually came as a result of a program that started way back in 2016 and a chance meeting in 2018. And so I'll, I'll give some history to that. In 2016, I started work looking to promote capacity building around HIV prevention, awareness of contemporary HIV strategies on HBCU campuses. Started here in North Carolina, where Duke University is. I'm looking to engage a fair proportion of HBCUs within the state of North Carolina by making their students aware of PrEP and HIV prevention strategies, but also by increasing the capacity to test for HIV and to provide HIV prevention services, student health services, infrastructures on those campuses. In 2018, I had the good fortune to meet Russell Campbell at an inter-CFAR meeting in Nashville. And soon afterwards, I had the opportunity to meet Dr. Kenrick Ware. And together, we thought of how we can build upon our own experiences to not just inform about HIV prevention, but also start to move towards workforce development to kind of get um, students to take interest in potentially HIV and HIV science as a potential career path for them, particularly on HBCU campuses. Fast forward to September of 2021, uh, pandemic in there interrupting quite a bit of our operations. And uh, we had this opportunity advocated by the, the DC CFAR, actually promoted this opportunity of the CFAR Diversity Equity Implementation Pathway Initiative. The, the acronym is CDIPI. CDIPI mandated the CFARs to come up with programs, either novel or continuing, that um, supported the development and diversification of the HIV workforce. Our response to that call for action and mechanism for funding was to modify our initial program, Bring Prep to Campus, to one that includes workforce development and promotes interest in HIV science. And so that's how Evidence to Practice came to be. We worked together to build this program to make this into a three-day workshop that not just highlighted the reality of the HIV epidemic here in the South amongst young Black adults, but also to use it as a call to action by introducing implementation science as a potential entry point into consideration of careers in HIV. So evidence to practice, it's a three-day workshop on campus, and we engage the students to talk with them about HIV. We talk about HIV prevention. We talk about the EPI, and the students are tasked with putting together after we provide some foundation for what the expectations are, they develop programs, their own plans for how they think they can address HIV on their campus and in those local communities. And so over the course of the three-day workshop, the first day is a traditional didactic program, a colloquium that brings experts from NYU, from here at Duke, from the Office of HIV AIDS and Network Coordination to inform students in person and sometimes virtually about uh, the state of the epidemic, but also 
what implementation science is and, and how we can ideate within that space of HIV implementation. But the last two days are really four-hour sessions of students really starting to develop student-initiated, generated programs based on their own ideation, come up with a strategy to increase prevention awareness on their own campus. And so, you know, we come to them with the humility that we are content experts in HIV, but we don't know their context. And so they bring the context expertise. And over those last two days, they manifest that context expertise into one-page action plans on how to promote HIV prevention strategies, at least awareness of these strategies on their campus and within their campus bodies. And it was strategic to work with HBCUs because if you look at the data around people who are acquiring HIV at an alarming rate, it really rests with young Black people in the South portion of the United States of America, really the Southeast. And so the efforts were really intentional to start going to historically Black colleges and universities. And it got to start in South Carolina because as many people may know with the federal ending the HIV epidemic, South Carolina is one of the priority states that the federal funding has really focused a lot on to actually get to try to end the HIV epidemic. So the evidence to practice is putting it into practice for the people who need it the most. I wonder, do students that join this program are students that are doing health sciences careers or in general, anyone at the HBCU? So we've tried to be very thoughtful about how we recruit students. At first, we just cast a broad net, but it quickly dawned upon us about a third of the way into our experience thus far that having faculty champions identify pre-health professional students, pre-nursing, pre-pharmacy, pre-med, social work, and uh, public health was probably the best way to go. And so identify faculty champions on each of our HBCU campuses. Um, and then we ask them, we give them full latitude to pick nine to 12 students within their campus that would benefit from such a three-day workshop and are likely to engage in careers and health professions in some capacity. Of course, our hope is that we can convince them towards considering HIV science, but at least they're within the realm of consideration of a health professions career overall. And that's how we choose our students. Interesting. I was reading a post on Duke's University on evidence to practice, and something that was mentioned in there is that there is very little interest of HBCU students in science programs. Can you elaborate on that? Do you think that this statement is accurate? I think so. Another arm of what we've done with evidence to practice is to really try to introduce collegiate students to careers in HIV-related research. So that's kind of a complementary arm, introducing future researchers. And so the thought there is, in addition to our discussions around HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP, and how people can access that, how students can access it on their campuses, or how they can raise awareness around it. We also want the clinics to work for us around students who are interested in HIV-related careers. And so that was our thought about drumming up the interest over the course of the evidence to practice sessions to create that interest in some of the science careers and the science-related careers. And really with the eye toward public health students, but the evidence to practice has really embraced students on campuses from really any discipline because we believe that the content that we cover related to HIV prep will relate to any collegiate student. What do these workshops consist of? You mentioned that there is a three-day workshop. What is the curriculum throughout these three days? So for the students, we provide the EPI in their particular community. I provide a background and some information on our HIV prevention research module. We talk about the importance of mentorship 
And part of that means we talk about our journeys, how we have worked in this field, outside of this field, the importance of, for example, writing abstracts, manuscripts, and serving as resources for students that are interested in pursuing careers. And then another part of the work is for the students to work as in groups to develop a plan and to discuss how they would implement that plan, whether it be on campus and are in their local community. That's with undergrad students. The students are engaged. They ask questions. They have to come up with their own thoughts, their own ideas, and develop a budget as to how much they feel they need to implement these plans that they design. So if I'm understanding well, there are two aims to this project. One is to raise awareness about HIV and the use of PrEP for HIV prevention, plus promoting the interest in HIV science. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Yes. And how many HBCUs and MSI are participating in the program at this point? So currently we're up to nine institutions uh, and our goal is to increase that by 50% over the next year if we're lucky enough to get a third year of funding for this program. And how long has the program been on so far? So our first workshop was held in November of 2021. So we're only about 16 months old. And you are aiming at extending it for another year, two years, five years? We're looking at extending it for as long as we can gain funding. We want to make this sustainable. Our goal is to think of a path towards sustainability so that even after and beyond my personal involvement in the program, that this kind of work goes on in perpetuity. And so we're beholden now to the annual funding cycles of our work. We've just put in a proposal for a third year of funding, but our intention is to continue to go as long as funding and administrative structures allow us to. Do students attending these workshops get curricular or extracurricular credits for attending the workshops? That's another good question. So they actually incentivize participation by giving credits in their classes or for extra credit, for extracurricular and evidence of practice, but with the funding that the program has received, students are incentivized to be there as well. So the program pays them $100 per session. The sessions are typically about four hours in length, so it's roughly about $25 an hour to participate. And so over the course of three days, they really get about 300 bucks for about 12 hours of participation. And our logic is they're the context experts, right? So we may be uh, somewhat of the content experts, but they're the context experts on what what will work in their particular context in their locale. So we're basically paying them as early informed consultant about how we can make pre-exposure prophylaxis a more viable option in their locale. So what what do the workshops consist of? What what are the topics that are covered? So we have one specific question that they address, which is how might we increase access and awareness of HIV prevention services on your campus? That is a topic they have to address and come up to an answer to in the form of a one-page action plan in the last two days of the workshop. And so the first day is to give them the skills and the data to help inform their approaches. But the last two days, 
guided by human-centered design tenets, and which we actually introduced into what human-centered design is in the first day of the workshop. Their task is to answer that question and come up with a strategy to do that that's specific to their content, um, to their campus context. Um, and so, of course, we've identified very quickly that although there are kind of similarities and themes across campuses and what they come up with, what adds color to what the output is in terms of the end of each workshop is the nuance and the differences of every campus. Every campus plan looks a little bit different, looks a lot different in some cases. And that consideration of context, I think, is key. And so to answer your question, their task is to directly come up with a plan to answer the question of increasing awareness and access to HIV prevention services on their campus in a sustainable fashion. Human-centered design. What is that? Human-centered design really focuses on the needs of that community or that person to really say, what are some of your individual barriers or individual constraints at this in this location and how can we work through it? So it kind of departs from the one-size-fits-all model and really looks at what can we do to actually optimize your area, your place, your position to, to get you the resources that you need. What do you mean by implementation science? Implementation science. The, the gold standard for academic accomplishment was building an intervention or a discovery and getting it to dissemination through going to your professional journal of interest, a premier journal. We talk about New England Journal of Medicine or in, or Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA or whatever. So publishing your work was in many ways the end of the story. Now, the problem with that is that by default, are expecting that by disseminating your work in that forum, that incorporation into real world practice will happen on its own. And we know that's not the case in that most studies never see real-world implementation, even though they were excellent ideas, never get adopted in the way that you want to in the real world because no one has actually done the work to bring the evidence-based intervention, evidence depicted in the work that you published to real-world practice. That's the reason why we talk about our program, we named it Evidence to Practice, is that implementation science is that rigorous field of study that looks to systematically bring space interventions into real world practice basically um, that's what implementation science is in a nutshell and so we teach our students about this and that is not enough to have an evidence-based um, strategy that works like prep but how do we get it to fit within your own context how do we go from prep works on paper in the new england journal and is being taken up by 25 only 25 percent people that need it to we can get prep available and accessible and to work for people on your campus implementation science lives in that clear gap. And that's what we're trying to introduce to our students so they can be empowered to know that naturally, if you believe or if you understand implementation science that way, it's clear that context, expertise, and knowledge of the campus context matters. And hopefully by empowering them to come to that realization, you can empower them to move closer to the area of interest and say, hey, I have something to bring intrinsically to the table, right? And solving this problem. And it's my knowledge of the context. And where can I fit in to, to bridge that gap? My knowledge of the context, the problem that's being opposed, which is improving on prep uptake and HIV prevention strategies on their campus. And so from that knowledge comes empowerment, from that empowerment comes hopefully action and long-term commitment to HIV science as a career of interest. You mentioned that probably one of the aims of the program is that the students prepare a plan. <clears throat> How are these plans implemented? Yes, yeah, so... 
Right now, they're just plans. We have had some students who have ideas around how they can solicit funding to make their plans realities. And that's up to the students to make that happen. So we don't have any funding to give to students for them to implement the plans, but they do come up with ideas. And they, for example, if they have a plan that requires, say, a $5,000 budget, they may be able to solicit those funds from their university or somewhere outside of their university to implement that. But that's really up to them to take it to that next step if that's something they decide to pursue. How does this program converge with Hank's mission? Good question. So it ties in well to what we do at Legacy by looking at finding ways to work with communities, researchers to address this issue of historical mistrust and distrust to let those communities that are disproportionately impacted by HIV, make them aware of research and to also make them aware of the fact that we recognize that abuses have occurred in the name of research and we want to address that. We want to address that through a number of ways. One is we like to see more individuals who are from those communities help lead research. So when we go out and we are presenting the HIV prevention research module, we're providing education about HIV. Oftentimes when we're talking about PrEP for HIV, for a lot of students, they've never heard of that even though we're talking about something that's been out for 10 plus years. That's new information to them, and that highlights that there's still more work to be done, especially in those communities in the South where we know HIV is really problematic. We also acknowledge that there may be folks who are hesitant to engage in research, but we show up and we talk about why we're involved in this work. We talk about ways that if they want to make a difference, how they could be involved in research. And we talk about not just about the research, but about the disparities that exist when it comes to, for example, PrEP uptake. We know that providers are less likely to prescribe PrEP to Black individuals. We know that there's still these systems in place that make it challenging for Black and Brown people to seek care. And all those things are at work. And so it ties into the work of legacy because that's what we do, because we talk to not just those communities, but we have, it reinforces to researchers that more work needs to be done for them to engage those communities. And so we can provide that feedback to say, this is what we're hearing directly from the individuals that we want to participate in research. So more has to be done. And we hear from those students why they may feel apprehensive. And so it all ties in because we may be here removed from it, but when we're there talking with those students, we know firsthand what they're saying. We bring this information back. It helps us with our messaging, not just in what we produce, but also when we're talking to researchers who are developing protocols to say, please be mindful of this when you are not only developing protocols, but when you're having staff engage with these individuals and communities to know what's on their mind. And also to highlight that when we talk about community engagement, it's not just you show up one time and you talk for 45 minutes and you leave, there has to be ongoing engagement and communities and individuals have to feel that you care about them and care about their communities. So that's what we talk about at Legacy all the time. And so that's why we do this work. And it's really important. And it's inspiring as well, because it's a reminder that until we do better, we're still going to be behind 
in addressing this epidemic. Thank you so much for your time. Do you have any final remark? I think my last remark is that ultimately we know that the way the HIV epidemic is shaping here in the United States, that 42% of all new infections are in Black persons, 65-70% of all new infections are in persons of color. We know that the community of researchers addressing HIV, both on a basic science level, but also on a level of epidemiology, population, community health, doesn't really match the demographics of who's most afflicted by this epidemic. That's inherently a problem. I don't think I need to tell you the reasons why that is, but the fact that the researchers that are addressing this problem don't look like the populations most affected by the issue is concerning and concerning going into the future, quite frankly. And I think our partners at the NIH, at the National CFAR, at the DC CFAR, with the leadership of Dr. Alan Greenberg and others at that CFAR, bringing this opportunity to us, highlights the importance and the fact that policymakers and research leadership in HIV know that the future of HIV research has to include workforce development that seeks to diversify and make the community of researchers and clinicians that address the HIV epidemic look like the population's most effective. We're eternally thankful to the NIH, to Alan Greenberg and DCC FAR, to the SIDIPI for giving us this opportunity, and we hope to expand in a community of programs aimed at diversifying the HIV workforce going into the future. And thank you for the opportunity to disseminate this, and hopefully uh, we can continue to do this uh, important work moving forward. Dr. KK, Dr. Ware, and Russell, thank you so much for joining episode 13 of H equals H and share with us what the Evidence to Practice initiative is all about. We hope to have you back soon in a future episode of H equals H. And with our esteemed audience, stay tuned for another episode of the H is for Human. Do not forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your acquaintances, colleagues, friends, and family. And with me, it will be until next time in a new episode of the H is for Human, the podcast that centers on the human in HIV.